live from the Fight Pass studios in Southern California, here's your host, TJ DeSantis. Extra rounds. Oh, it's extra rounds here on UFC Fight Pass. TJ DeSantis along with Pearl Gonzalez, who's uh, getting in her final messages. I can hear those little, <laughs> little click bubbles. And uh, I- there's plenty of messages to send around the world, Pearl, because if people didn't see our uh, amazing, phenomenal bout here tonight in our main event between Calvin Cater and Giga Chikadze, uh they done screwed up. It, it, was, uh, it was one that makes you start talking to all your friends, right? Oh, my gosh. This, I'm still like... <sighs> like still taking it in and processing what just happened. The whole card was amazing. Yeah. But that, that fight, like to me, I just, all I could do is look at this fight and, and be like, talk about, it's not even karma, but like Calvin Cater reliving the same insane fight that the, from his last fight to this year. And it's just, it's just, I don't even think I'm wording it cor- correctly, but like, it's insane. Yeah, no, 100% insane. Uh, they delivered in, in a very big way. And, you know, I had a chance to talk to you midweek. We weren't able to do a uh, midweek show like we uh, normally do. And you were, like, talking my ear off about how much you were excited about this main event. And with Giga Chikadze and, and Calvin Cater, um, you know, on paper, this is a tall task to sort of live up to those expectations, but live up to it. They absolutely 100% did just that. I, I need to get your thoughts on how you saw this fight. We're going to start a pick segment here in uh, 2022, and we're going to put some sort of bet. It's going to be you and me against one another, but also against our producer, Steve and Frankie. If I were to put you on the spot, I mean, in hindsight now, you can say, of course, I was all the way on Calvin Cater, but I want to be, I want you to be honest here. Did you have Calvin Cater winning this fight? going into uh, the proceedings i did not okay All right. i did not i'll be honest i i i thought that giga chikadze was gonna was going to come through i just you know he all of his size stars were aligned okay i can't talk today what's happening well anyway. i mean you saw an amazing <laughs> fight and it will leave you a little bit speechless to be honest with you uh but you know, i i appreciate your honesty um because i was with you honestly like i i, I got nothing to lose now that you you were honest i was on giga chikadze this fight i really thought that this was his time he had a phenomenal year calvin cater had been out for a long time and you never really know what's going to happen uh, to an athlete who comes back uh after that long of a layoff and uh, man, for for Calvin Cater, he just he turned it up like he literally leveled up tonight in so mm-hmm. many ways, and it was a war for a variety of reasons. But honestly, this was about as one sided of a you know sort of back and forth war as you'll get because there's no doubt Calvin Cater won fifty forty five on two of the judges' scorecards fifty forty four. But Giga Chikadze had the heart of a warrior and was just not going to quit. This is what I'm talking about, like it, the, deja vu. It, it was literally a deja vu tonight, except Kadar was on the, he was the one dishing out the, the meal tonight. You know, the last one, he, he kind of was fed the meal, right, but right. Now he, you know, and I had wondered this, I did wonder this with him because he had taken, you know, the 12 months off because the fight was, uh, the, his last fight, you know, that was probably, it probably really broke his heart, you know, and hurt his ego. And it, it really, I'm sure made him question himself and, you know, I, and am I really who I thought I am? And I think that when you have to come back from something like that, such a heartbreaking fight or a, a situation, you, you either, you change, you're changed from that situation. And I, I really was wondering, like, I can only imagine how much he learned in that fight. Like how much did he learn from Max Holloway? Yes, it was a devastating fight for him, 
But what did he learn? And I swear, you saw tonight exactly what he learned. If you saw his forward pressure, the nonstop strikes that he was, he was just onslaught of strikes, all nonstop throughout the entire fight tonight. And um, it, you can't help but think like that was exactly what happened to him against Holloway. So, you know, he took his time, this time that he, he clearly needed this time off. He went back to the drawing board, probably revamped himself completely and came out and put on a hell of a performance tonight. No, he really did. And, you know, that's the thing that I look at with this fight and really just sort of wonder, where does he go from here? Because it's been a long layoff. He lost to to Max Holloway, but he came out and really sort of, you know, dethroned this, uh, you know, Giga Chikadze train that was on the uprising. Like, I got to believe that he's in that mix for potentially a title eliminator or if something crazy happens. I mean, this, this featherweight division is a phenomenal weight class to say the least, but like, I feel with this win, really anything is sort of possible for Calvin Cater just because of the way that he dominated over the course of uh, five rounds. Absolutely. I mean, the bounce back was insane. And you know, uh, on his interview, he, he said that he was failing forward. And I love that you do, you fail forward you know, you don't take losses. You you don't, you never accept those. Those are lessons you learn. And he did just that. And absolutely he's, he's top five. Giga was very, I mean, Giga is an incredible fighter, yeah. very talented fighter, undefeated seven and oh in the UFC was on a three fight knockout streak. Like his resume that when I say all of his stars were aligned for him tonight, they really were. He's just, he's put on an insane amount of work. He put in an, on an insane why can I not talk today, TJ? I'm telling you, I blame Calvin Cater and, and Giga Chikadze <laughs> for what they did tonight because it's one of those things. It was one of those fights, Pearl, where I'm happy no one was in the studio with me because I was making all sorts of weird noises. You know yeah, I mean? me too. And, oh, my uh, God. So, so I don't blame you for being a little bit uh, speechless after after this one. But really, when you look at Giga Chikadze, you, you mentioned his long uh, sort of undefeated run in the UFC prior to tonight. Um, where does he go? Because, I, granted, he was dominated. Don't get me wrong. Like, <laughs> the, he was beaten. But I feel like his stock isn't going to fall considerably far. May, maybe it will. You never know how the, the rankings are going to flesh out. But when I look at Giga Chikadze, yes, he lost. Yes, he was dominated. But he still showed the hard part of a lion. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I mean, and you saw his skills, you saw some of them, them come out, you know, he, he, he didn't look himself tonight. And I don't know if it was just the, the constant onslaught of Calvin Cater. He just was, you know, very frustrated and just unable to really put his game together tonight. Or I also wonder, did, did he get injured in that first round? Did he, did he injure a kick? Did he injure a leg or something? You know, did Calvin check a kicker? You don't know because he definitely was not as confident coming out tonight in his performance. He was on his back foot. And for a talented striker like Giga, Giga had an entire professional kickboxing career before even making his way into MMA. He had 46 fights, TJ, yeah. in kickboxing. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a striking specialist. He's been, he's been training karate since the age of four. Right? This is, he's an, an incredible striker and he's so talented, which is why he was undefeated. And, you know, it does. It makes you think, was was he fighting something? You know, was, did something not go right that we don't know about that he didn't want to talk about? Was he injured because he did, he did not look like himself? Or was it just what I had what I did predict was the that Calvin Cater can shut your entire offense down with just his jab? And he did just that tonight. He shut down Giga with his jab. Ultimately, the jab, the jab set up everything. I mean, 
he threw a buffet of elbows, right? Those elbows, they were, they were gorgeous. And there yeah. were so many that were spinning elbows. And he had the timing. You know, every time Giga tried to come forward and attack and press, Calvin spinning and landing elbows or uppercuts a knee. Like it was, he just was, there was so much coming from Calvin tonight. And uh, it started with the jab. It, it was, it was impressive. No, it really was. And you mentioned the jab. And I think, you know, you've been focusing on boxing quite a bit over the last, you know, year and some change. And I, I think about the jab and it's almost like stereotypical when we see the jab and mixed martial arts used effectively, like guys like Longo and, and, and Dean, they, they go really deep on how important that jab is. Yes. In, in instances like say Anderson Silva and Forrest Griffin, the jab can be a devastating weapon that can really hurt you and knock you out. But when you see what, what Calvin Cater did tonight with it, it it's, just it, it really is that that sort of cornerstone and sort of the starting point for really an effective you know offensive output when it comes to your hands and you know Giga Chikadze while he's not a pure boxer he does have like you said a, an entire kickboxing career prior to coming to the UFC like he's he's a guy who's seen a jab before but tonight it didn't matter Calvin Cater was able to uh, really just you know set up behind that jab and, and everything you know, flowed from there absolutely TJ the jab is the most important strike in striking, it, it it sets up. Not only does it set up your attacks, it, it negates the your opponent's attacks. It it you use it as your measuring stick. You know, it, it's your measuring tool. You use it to set up. You throw it, and it's so like, especially it's your lead leg. So it's it's the closest punch, or excuse me, the closest hand to your opponent. And so you just flicking it out here. It doesn't cost. It doesn't take a lot of energy from you. But if you utilize it right, which Calvin Cater does, I mean, it sets up. It sets up big, big, you know, combinations like this. And like we're watching right now. I mean, it's his jab, his jab, and he used it beautifully tonight. It was nonstop. He never stopped throwing his jab. So as Giga came in, he was getting hit with it. As Giga was moving out, he was getting hit with it. I mean, it was just nonstop. And and it, it did. It set up. And then what he ended up doing, it set up the elbows. It set up the rest of the strikes that he put he put together tonight. Right. When you look at the jab, I mean, obviously not everyone utilizes it as effectively as they should or even really put, sort of kind of lives and, and dies by by the, the technique. But when you, you know, prepare for someone with that jab, is the quality of their jab, is it hard to prepare for, for an athlete that does you utilize it properly, even in the room when you're training with your coach? Because I got a feeling like it's it's one of those little nuances of techniques. Like your jab is not as equal to everyone else's jab because mainly what you do off of it. Yes, you can throw a jab, but like you said, you know, the elbows and things were coming off of it. If you're not someone who, you know, chains that strike together, your jab is, you can't really prepare for that compared to someone who's sort of a high level, uh, you know, athlete with that jab. Yes. Especially particularly boxers, right? Boxers have phenomenal jabs. It's the most important punch. It's one of the first punches you learn. And it's, it's one of the punches that you will work the absolute most in your, in your boxing, whatever MMA career. Right. And so is it hard? Yes, it is hard when you have someone that is as confident as Calvin was. Calvin was pressing forward. He did completely disrespected any of Giga's kicks. He did not care about the kicks. You know, he didn't care about Giga's power. He just kept moving forward with the jab. Yeah. And um, it is hard to train with someone like that because you have a jab in your face. You can't think you can't breathe once you're once your nose and you get in your nose and now blood's coming out. Now you have to open your mouth and breathe through your mouth. I mean, there's just so many things that it can close your eye. And so the jab really, really, he did use it so effectively tonight. And 
you would have thought that Giga would have prepared for it more. I think from a kicker, a big, strong kicker like him, I, I, I anticipated that he was going to kick the leg, even with an inside leg kick, you know, as, as he was stepping forward with his jab because his jab's heavy. And that's one of the counters to the jab is, is the inside leg kick. You know, you time the jab and you kick the inside leg and, and it doesn't hurt. It's not a hard strike, but what it does is it offsets. You know, it, it um, um, imbalances you or yeah, it takes you off balance while you're striking and it can shut down that jab. And, uh, you know, he just had such a hard time tonight. He was he couldn't deal with it. Yeah, it was, it was quite interesting. But you mentioned uh, Giga Chikadze. Obviously, you know, when anybody ever talks about him, they talk about his uh, ability to, you know, be offensive with the kick in, in ways that other athletes just are not. And when I, I look at what Cater did, you mentioned that jab, but it, it was that constant moving forward. W- was the moving forward opening up the jab or was the jab allowing Cater to, to move forward? Because as you said, that, that forward momentum and forward posture inside the octagon is ultimately what shut down the kick of, of uh, Giga Chikadze. It was a little bit of both. So the, the forward pressure, he was, he, he, when I broke down um, Kadar, I talked about his stance, his structure, his balance, and and he's so good at keeping his balance. And and so many people, fighters, whoever, they kind of like you don't focus on balance and how important it is. And if you're balanced, if you're very well balanced in striking, you can move forward, you can move backward, and you're never in a vulnerable position. You're never off balance, so you always can you can strike, you can defend yourself, you can counter. So. Kadar is, is that, that to me was one of his, that was most impressive to me actually about Kadar was his, his stance and how structured and, and balanced he is at any given point. He can throw the jab, he can throw his strikes moving backwards forward as we saw tonight. And so I think that he's just worked his jab enough where he throws his jab and he steps as he steps in, he steps in it. He steps at the same time and moves in with that jab. So it was a little bit of both. That forward pressure really did. Giga had a really hard time with the forward pressure. He was on his heels the entire time. And, you know, you can't set up kicks moving backwards. You can't kick while moving backwards. Yeah. And kick and kicking for Chikadze, that's his bread and butter. So it was a, it was a very, very smart game plan for Kadar to to really keep Giga on his on his back foot. It, it really did. It negated all the kicks and well, it shut them down. When I look at Giga Chikadze, you know, th- there are some things to, you know, be I mean, I don't know if say proud, but impressed with. He, I, I was impressed with his mm-hmm. heart. I mean, this was a very difficult fight, not only physically, but mentally and emotionally. Like, he, he was forced to to play a game that was Calvin Cater's game. And, you know, some other fighters, I think, when they start getting beat up that way and mentally they're starting to wear down, that that they break. He did not break. He, he continued to fight as long as, uh, you know, there was time left uh, on the clock. But now when I look at what Cater did, not only did he, you know, soundly defeat Giga Chikadze, but he sort of, you know, put a blueprint out there for other athletes that, hey, look, if you're going to go step in the octagon with Giga Chikadze, you're going to have to move forward. You're going to have to limit his ability to kick. And the, the way that that Cater did that, uh, I think a lot of people, definitely Giga's next opponent, is going to be looking at that tape and trying to implement that same sort of game plan. So if you're Chikadze moving forward, how do you not let this loss sort of parlay itself into having you know more difficulties with, with the division that are obviously watching tape and, and studying all of your weaknesses? Well, I think that for Chikadze, you know, he is one of the contenders. He's at the top of this division for a reason. He is extremely talented. He has so many tools. He's very technical. And I think because he has such a plethora of 
knowledge in striking, he's going to learn from this. He's going to go back. He's going to watch his footage. He's going to study this and, and he'll, he's going to learn like his, to me, his biggest offset was, um, was his biggest mistake tonight was moving backwards. He, he just did not hold his ground. Um, and, and, uh, one of my coaches calls it defending the line, You defend your line, uh, when they're attacking and, and he did not, he didn't defend his line tonight. And, uh, his corner kept telling him, stop moving backwards. Don't move backwards anymore. Um, and so I think that when he goes back and he watches this fight, he is, he's going to learn from it and, and he'll come back better. You know, that just like Cater, Cater, you would think that he would have came back different. And I mean, he looked, he, he looked the best he's ever looked tonight. So I, I can only believe that Giga is going to have the same thing. You know, he's, he's going to learn, he's going to learn from this and he's going to come back better. Yeah, I mean, I that's the thing, too. You you have to. This is what, uh, you know, sort of champions are made of. And I'm not saying that Chikadze is, is a champion here, but if he wants to be, he's going to have to bounce back from this. And, you know, when we look at athletes, you know, come up, Ray Longo has talked about this a lot. When you look at athletes get to the UFC, sometimes they're better prepared for having you know, suffered some real adversity and maybe even dropping a couple of losses. Giga Chikadze is a, a well-experienced combat sports athlete. You got to believe that he's going to be, uh, you know, better for this if he's able to break it down with his coaches and, and sort of get back in, in, in the right headspace. Um, you know, the stock is going to be really high in Calvin Cater. You know, I alluded to the fact that maybe he's going to have a, a title eliminator in his future or if somebody gets injured, there could be a, a call out for him uh, to sort of save the day. What would you like to see next for him because you mentioned that long layoff he definitely quote-unquote failed forward now he turned into a better fighter after that that Holloway loss but do you feel like his stock is where it was you know leading into that Holloway fight before he suffered the loss absolutely I think that if anything it's even better because he had such a devastating loss last year you know and and had to just overcome so much adversity from that fight and he came back and he and he put on a performance like tonight He's, he's exactly right where he left off when he was on, you know, on his win streak and he was on fire and uh, it shows, you know, that he, he, his fire never died. Maybe he had a bad night. Maybe, you know, Holloway is just on that, that different level compared to him. Um, we don't know, but I do think that he 100% like pr- proved that he's here. He didn't go anywhere. Um, and that he's he's going to deal with adversity regardless of what it is. She's Pro Gonzalez. I'm TJ DeSantis. This is Extra Rounds here from UFC Fight Pass. Appreciate you hanging out with us as we uh, recap the first card uh, of the new year for the Ultimate Fighting Championship. If you're just joining us, Calvin Cater victorious over Giga Chikadze. He takes a unanimous decision home uh, 50-45 twice and 50-44 on one of the judges' scorecards. We are live on Twitch as well as Facebook, so if you are on Twitch or Facebook, drop a message in the uh, chat there and we'll uh we'll 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 talk about it we'll address it it can really be anything you want to talk about like what designer pearl gonzalez is wearing tonight i I don't know what it is but um you know you can ask that question we got a question from a bernard uh i should say it's bernard uh i don't know if if he's cold or or what but uh, bernard says uh do you and pearl prefer fights in the apex with minimal fans or a packed arena that's loud um there's something to be said i think pearl about uh you know packed arena and and the energy that comes along with uh with fight night in front of you know 15,000 20,000 fans 
but there is a level of intimacy that carries through the television set, especially when you're at home, when you hear everything, when you can hear the corners, when you can hear, you know, some of those deep, impactful shots, whether it be to the body or the leg, that just make you go, damn, like, I feel like I'm there despite being in the comfort uh, of my own home. So I, I can't really pick one way or the other because I like the energy that the fans bring, but that level of intimacy is, is just something, especially during the pandemic when, you know, everything was confined, you know, all the big fights were confined to the Apex or uh, Fight Island. There is something special about being able to literally consume that sort of action to a granular level um, just because you're allowed to hear more because there isn't a crowd. Wow, you threw like a bunch of little fancy words in there. Ultimate fighting, <laughs> Ultimate fighting Championship, which sounds really good. I mean, you threw all kinds of good stuff in there. I, you know, I think that there is nothing like a live crowd right. to perform, to be a part of. Like you, when when the fight is happening and you're in inside an arena and the crowd is like, you feel waves of energy. You can feel people's energy, and to me as a fighter, you know, that you live for that. You live to hear the crowd and feel the waves of energy and, you know, and hear their reactions as you're competing and performing. Um, so me personally, I prefer the live crowd, but yes, it is nice that you can hear everything inside that apex center. What is really cool to me that I like to listen to is I like to listen to the corner cornering their fighter and you can watch the fighter adjust you watch them respond whether they are talking to them they nod their head and they do what their corners asking and to me that's that's really really cool to to be able to hear that you would never be able to hear that in a live crowd um and kind of see how the game plan changes and whatnot and how you how they have to adjust so you're right i agree with you on that it is very intimate but me personally i prefer a live crowd any day yeah and especially when you're in the building as well because when we were uh you know in t-mobile for that that last uh, ufc pay-per-view where amanda nunez came up short to juliana penny in one of the craziest upsets ever that building man what, what a crazy sort of shift because there were a lot of people that were very pro amanda going into that fight but the energy there and the sort of you know, acceptance of what had happened. You start to hear people, you know, go sort of from cheering for Amanda Nunes to being forced to almost cheer for, for Juliana Pena, even if they weren't the biggest Pena fans, just because you have to respect what you just saw. You just saw the greatest of all time dethroned by a massive underdog, and you were there to see it. It's hard not to get caught up uh, in the moment, and uh, that is a once-in-a-lifetime experience, I think, mm -hmm. uh, if you're in that building. So no nothing's going to beat that energy, in my opinion. Yes, I agree with you there. Um, yeah, it, that was insane. That was insane. It, to me, when it happened, it was almost like somber. It was like so quiet for a right. second. You know, people were trying to figure out. And you're right. You feel that energy. You can see, we, we see fans walking out. You can see them upset when their fighter didn't win or they're happy and they're cheering when their fighter does. So I do. I love the crowd. I love, I love the live action. I think that, you know, it just, there's nothing like that. And as a fighter, that's like, that's the dream. Right. That's the dream is to compete in front of crowds now one thing i will say too i've been in the the building for some really uh you know fan favorite and rivalry fights and one that i will always remember was the second meeting between uh anderson silva and chael sonnen and 
I always sort of joke that I, I wish we could make uh, mixed martial arts fans uh, actually wear the shirt of the athlete they're cheering for because I, I say that the arena would largely be a dirty clothes bin uh, by the time some fights are over because they're taking off one shirt to cheer on the, the other guy. And that was the case with Sonnen and Silva, too. I think a lot of people were really excited about, you know, Chael getting that opportunity against Anderson for the second time when he did so well in the first fight, uh, but unfortunately came up, uh, you, know, you know, unfortunately for Chael, came up short with that, you know, last minute Hail Mary triangle. Um, there were a lot of people that were ready to cheer for Chael Sonnen that night. I think it was in the MGM Grand in, in Las Vegas, and uh, everybody left wearing Anderson Silva shirts, you know, <clears throat> figuratively, because Anderson Silva won, and it's hard not to cheer for Anderson Silva, one of the greatest of all times. But uh, I can't yeah, imagine I being there for that fight. So I have a question for you. Is the crowd any different from, you know, back in the day when you went to a live fight oh, compared to the crowd now? Yeah, yeah. And I will say um, back in the day, there weren't as many UFCs. So I think that, uh, you know, people came from far and wide much less often because there weren't as many opportunities. So when they were there, like I remember fans like at the, the Sonnen and Silva fight that I mentioned, they had signs and signs that were like pretty offensive. And, and the ushers were actually taking them away from people. Like, I don't see, I don't remember the last time I saw a sign <laughs> inside a UFC event, but, uh, you know, every era has, I mean, that's the thing. I always talk about sort of, everybody has their sort of fan era, right? Like when they were the biggest fans they could be. When you first find mixed martial arts, it's a very special time, uh, I think, in your life. But we're always going to be in a better situation than we were now prior to then because we have more fights than ever before. And, and some people talk about this oversaturation. And I even heard people talk about, Pearl, that, that this card from the UFC, wasn't as strong as it could be for their first outing here in the new year. If you just saw that main event and you're going to say that that wasn't a good enough card, don't yeah. watch MMA. Don't don't do it because you don't really I, like MMA. You, you think I you mean, do, but you don't. All these fights, all the fights tonight were insane. Yeah. I mean the the heavyweight fight that we saw. I mean that was crazy, and right. then the flyweights before them. The ladies, I mean, that, that was a really big fight in, in the flyweight division. Caitlin Ch Chukagian versus uh, Jennifer Maya. It was their second meeting. And both of those women came to fight. Both of them came to win. They were both, I just, I said that they had both had bad intentions. And it was cool to see, you know, Jennifer Maya isn't, isn't that aggressive. But it was cool to see her really go for things. And then Caitlin, Caitlin's always been a very elusive fighter where she's in and out. You know, she's got a very long jab very long limbs and, and kind of keeps her distance and uh and just like is a volume volume but tonight she was coming in with bad intentions like she was trying to hurt jennifer maya she was sitting in the pocket so it was it was a great fight i mean i was really impressed with how how well and how much caitlin has improved she looks so good tonight uh her jab was on point her her body shot. She was uh, slipping and dipping some of um, Jennifer Maya's work and and just going to the body and ripping the body. Um, she looked so good tonight, and Maya did too. Maya was game the entire time. She was trying to find her way. She had such a hard time though getting inside of Caitlin because of you know how long she is. But she had some really good moments in that fight, and um, they just put on a hell of a performance for the flyweight division, especially the the the, the ladies at the top. And, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great fight. Um, and I'm, I'm, I was really impressed with Caitlin. 
Yeah, no, I, and that's the thing, too. I wanted to sort of pick your brain on this because this was a rematch and, and one that was uh, previously won uh, by Chukagian. And when I, I look at tonight's performance, I mean, it was a solid performance for Caitlin. And, and it's it's difficult to sort of be where she's at. She's perennially number you know one or two in, in the division, and she's going to have to continue to beat people that she's likely already beaten before to get back to that spot. So now we're starting to compare, you know, fight one between her and Maya to tonight's performance and how do you build on a fight that you already won? Uh, and my, my sort of question on that is did, did the first fight impact the way that either or both of these athletes sort of approached this one? Because they say that familiarity breeds, you know, competition. When you know what someone wants to do, it's uh, a lot harder to uh, sort of keep them down and, and adjust or, you know, change the, the flow of a fight, um, you know, from, from one fight to the next. Do you think that first fight informed either of their approaches tonight? Yeah, absolutely. I think that you, you have to learn, you have to learn when you're in there. It's such a, um, you know, I talk about a fight and I I say this all the time. It's like the scariest, most sacred, uh, experience you'll ever go through. And when you are, are locked inside of a cage with another, um, athlete and you guys are moving together, like you feel each other, you, you smell each other. You can like hear each other breathe. You feel their power. You feel, you feel their will ultimately. And so, yes, you do. You learn so much and you can take that into the next fight and adjust. And I do think that Jennifer Maya came in and adjusted. She did a great job of adjusting. She, she got inside more. She was throwing these big overhand right hands um, and, and was landing. I mean, she, she, uh, she kind of messed up Caitlin's face. And that was, I think the biggest difference in this fight though, was Caitlin was not in and out. She was not elusive as elusive as she normally is. She was in the pocket. She wanted to trade. She wanted to, you know, have that fight, a, 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 a fight, you know, in the middle of the octagon and prove who, who's going to stand here the longest. And she looks so good doing that. And that's why I think like she made, she made both women made improvements tonight. And you saw that, but her, her improvements that she made tonight were, were so valuable. And, and you saw that you really did. Yeah, no, I, I definitely w- was impressed because, I mean, Maya's a tough fighter. You know, I've called some of Jennifer Maya's fights, yeah. and, and, and she is a really, not not only a gritty and durable fighter, but she's a good fight IQ. And I think in, in fights like this, when you're, you know, fighting at the upper echelon of the division, when you're ranking the top five, it comes down to the adjustments that you're able to make and the fight IQ that you display, as well as your uh, corners fight IQ. And Jennifer Maya was just not able to get anything really going to where it it changed the momentum uh, in this fight. And and Caitlin Trukagian, she isn't going anywhere. You know, she's going to be in this number, you know, one, number two uh, type ranked, uh, you know, contender situation for a while. And, you know, I don't know what more she needs to do. Unfortunately for her, there's just a a beast of a woman atop her division that I don't know if anybody can beat right now. Um, But but we'll see what happens. And, you know, nothing can be taken away from uh, Caitlin Trukagian on uh, tonight's uh, performance, a solid win over a a very tough uh, Jennifer Maya here in Las Vegas inside the Apex. Again, TJ DeSantis, Pearl Gonzalez, we are extra rounds from UFC Fight Pass. Appreciate you joining us tonight, whether it be live on Facebook or uh, live on Twitch. We got some Twitch questions coming in. Uh, this is from Same Old Cheese, which is 
Kind of gross. I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Uh, he says, is it fair that some fights are fought in a smaller cage size than others? Uh, how is it fair to compete or how is it fair to compare people with various cage sizes? Uh, you know, I, I've heard lots of people talk about this. Um, yeah, it, it is interesting. You know, from my experience working regional events and then watching the UFC, uh, you know, put on some really big fights in the, in the apex, which uh, has a, a smaller cage. Um the, the smaller cage, the, the less square footage of, of space definitely breeds more action. I think that uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot more striking uh, involved at times, but there's also the ability to sort of slow down the fight if you're a grappler. Your opponent can't, you know, circle away um, as easily when there's not as, as much space. I think it impacts certain, you know, stylistic matchups uh, differently. Uh, every fighter sort of uses it uh, differently, but, um, I mean... We went back to, you know, going back to what I was talking about, Caitlin Chukagian and Jennifer Maya, like this is a sport at the highest level. It comes down to adjustments. So is it fair to draw comparisons from one fight to the next or one fighter to the next when they're fighting in different cage sizes? Yeah, simply because that's what you have to do. You have to make the proper adjustments to be successful. And this isn't a sport where you get to make a lot of excuses or complain about not being able to fight in, in the big uh, octagon compared to the, the smaller octagon. And uh, it just is what it is. I, I know that life isn't fair, but uh, in mixed martial arts especially, you just got to go out there and perform no matter if the cage is, is 25 feet or if the octagon's 35 feet. Agreed. And, and you know, Typically, the gyms and and where you're training at has the smaller cage. So you're kind of used to the smaller cage. I mean, some gyms, big gyms, like uh, I know that uh, Jackson Jackson Winks, they have both cages. And so depending on which cage you'll be fighting in in the UFC is the cage you train in for your camp. And I thought that that was like, that was really awesome. Um, I'm sure that some of these bigger camps do have that. But it does. It plays a a big part in in the fight and, and the style of fight that you'll be fighting. Um, whether you're in a big cage or a small cage. Um, and so it, it, I remember being in the big cage in the UFC and I was just like, this thing is so, I, it just felt so big. It was right. so huge. You have all this room to, to work and move. Um, and then, you know, you go into a smaller cage and you're like, oh my God, it's so small. It's so small. And, uh, and you know, you guys are right there and the grappling, you're right. The grappling does, there is more grappling in the smaller cage or it's more inviting at least. Right. Um, so I do think that there is a a big difference in what cage you're fighting in. And it's very important to know the cage, know your terrain, know your environment that you're fighting in and, and you know, what size and how much room you have. Yeah. You know, that, that's the thing too. Like when I think about the, the space, it can really go both ways as well. It doesn't necessarily mean that because you're fighting in a smaller octagon, that there's going to be more clinch situations. It's, It's how you're able to use it. Because when I think about mixed martial arts, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, there was this idea that if you were the uh, fighter that was trying to do more ground and pound, that you should try to put your opponent on the floor have their head against the fence because their head can't move. You can start to elbow them and, and, and hit them a bit harder because, you know, when they're at space, they can move and, and try to, you know, get, get away from your shots. But when they're held up against the fence, they're, they're going to eat that shot a lot harder. But then, you know, over the last, uh, you know, five, seven years, we've seen people, you know, do that to their opponents where they try to, you know, shove their head up against the fence when they're on the floor and they use the the fence to wall walk and get right back up. Mm So that's what's so great about this sport. You can think that one tactic is going to get a fight going your way, but then you realize your opponent has drilled that a billion times and all of a sudden you want to make sure that they're at space when you're taking them to the floor because they're just going to get back to their feet if you let them get close to the fence. 
Yeah, you know, it is very interesting. I think that I've had, you know, different coaches and, and people I've worked with, they have different theories in different ways. Some like to put the head against the fence. Some want you to pull their head away. I think ultimately, though, what, what the big picture or what the big thing with that is, is it's just you have to compromise the spine. If you compromise the spine and you, you, you know, just by the head, use, using the head, then their body can't move, right? right? They can't really, everything's affected by compromising the spine. And so it is, it's it, the way that you stand up is you need to butt scoot. You need to get yourself over then and, and butt scoot to eventually get to a foot. You get your foot on the mat and, or the canvas, and then you get a knee on the canvas, you get your underhook, you know, and, and it's steps to getting up. So, um, yeah. And, and when you're in that smaller cage, it is grappling is more inviting. You don't have to, if you're not a grappler, but it is much more inviting and the wall work. There's a lot of cage work happening in the smaller cages, I think. Yeah, no, I, I definitely uh, agree with all of that. But again, it just comes back to the proper adjustments. And, and you might think a fight is going to go another way. And, you know, the, the athlete that is able to make those adjustments in between rounds or even mid-round, that, that's generally the person I think that you're going to side with and, and think that they're going to, uh, to get it done. And, and that was the case, uh, not necessarily tonight for Calvin Cater, because he was in control from, uh, you know, jump really but uh you know impressive just really impressive what especially. A performance yeah um looking at some uh, twitch stuff uh talking about uh this performance tonight by calvin cater got an interesting uh tweet here or or twitch message from um silky moustache what these twitch names are just the weirdest <laughs> things ever i love them they're hilarious yeah uh he, he says uh i think yair versus emmett in ortega versus uh, cater are good fights to make up wow. for the next uh, sort of featherweight division at the top. Um, I can't agree with that more. Like, yeah, th- that's a, a phenomenal sort of uh, little four man, you know, tournament in, in a roundabout way. And uh, again, like this is a, a performance from Calvin Cater where everybody was really sort of expecting him to, to maybe not necessarily be, you know, dominated, but to come up short to a surging uh, Giga Chikadze. And that just wasn't the case. Yeah. We saw Chikadze, you know, not have the answers for Calvin Cater and, and Cater is firmly back into this, you know, uh, picture as far as, you know, top prospects are concerned for, for getting an opportunity. And man, if, if he were to fight, um, you know, uh, really anybody but but an Ortega or you know uh an Emmett or a Yair Rodriguez like sign me up like th- those are honestly main card if not co-main event uh fights depending on you know what sort of platform they're on I, c- I could very much see those fights being a co-main event on, on a pay-per-view I really could I-, I don't think we're uh you know reaching by saying that if they were to have this you know sort of de facto tournament to where we see those guys fight one another. And then the winner of a Yair and Emmett and uh, Ortega and Cater, you know, were to fight one another. That's a co-main event for a title eliminator, in my opinion. Yeah. I, those are fun fights. I like, I love where Silky mustache is headed. M- mustache. Say it right, <laughs> Pearl. Mustache. <laughs> Silky mustache. Um, I, I love that. And I love that he's, he, those are all fun fights and you can intertwine, mix them here, you know? So yes. I think that we, we're like, um, I was thinking about it. I'm like, man, just looking back at the last year and how many amazing, crazy fights we saw, right? How many uh, uh, athletes that we saw kind of rise and some of the athletes that we saw kind of learn some lessons. And all I can think is like, what is this year going to be like? Because I've talked about this over and over again. The sport to me is evolving faster than it ever has. 
So you know that these fighters are going and they're adapting, they're adjusting, they're watching. They have now you have a fight on every weekend. So right. you have something to study and do constantly. And so how does this next year, how do we, how do the fights get better is insane. And like tonight they open up with a crazy card like this. Yeah. And by the way, it's only going to continue to get even better. Like this was a fight card that was in a tough position because you have a heavyweight uh, title unification bout coming up, uh, you know, just six days away uh, at the Honda Center here in Orange County when Francis Ngannou takes on Surreal Gone. So, like, that that was the one thing that I was sort of saying, like, I understand why people are maybe not looking forward to this uh, Cater and Chikadze fight as, as much as they should because you have a heavyweight fight. Yeah, I mean, you have a championship doubleheader coming up next weekend in Orange County as the flyweight championship of the world will be on the line as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, the, it's, it's a great time to be a mixed martial arts fan. And, uh, you know, the possibilities, really possibilities are endless, too, at making really good fights. Uh, Twitch ran a poll um, asking who uh, Cater should fight next, and Brian Ortega won with ah! uh, 56% of the vote. So Wow, uh, that's yeah, a great fight. I like it. And that's another fight that could easily be on a – uh, a main event like we saw tonight um, or again, definitely high up on a, on a pay-per-view main card. I agree. Oh my God. That fight has fireworks written all over it. They're both kind of heavy handed, uh, kind of in favor boxing more than, you know, all of the striking, the kicking and stuff. Although uh, the Ortega has really picked up on his kicks, but that's a fun fight. And we both, we've seen both of those men and how they responded to Max Holloway and neither one of them are going to give up. So neither one of them are going to back, back up that, that fight is insane. Yeah. I love that. Idea. No, I have a question. Okay, go. How, how many cuts did Giga have tonight? I don't know. I don't know. Um, God, he got, he got hit with so many elbows. I mean, they were beautiful. And to me, that was, that was Kedar taking a page out of Holloway's book. Holloway right. did just that to him, you know, in his last fight. And his elbows were impressive. I mean, he was landing them from everywhere. You know, I remember back in the day um, when Strike Force was operating, they were a promotion without elbows. They didn't have elbows. Uh, Pride did not wow. allow elbows, uh, except uh, I think they might have allowed elbows to the body. Um, where the UFC and, and the WEC always allowed elbows. And th there was this old sort of I idea that, you know, people would say this all the time, and I, I never agreed with it, that elbows are not really valuable resources in a fight, that they only cut. They, they only stop fights because they cut people, not because they do damage. Yet, no. And, and, They're and, devastating. And, right. And, and even if they do cut you, stop them. Like, that's what make elbows so you know, scary. And there, there's nothing I think more beautiful than a, a standing elbow, especially one that comes from range. You know, if you're able to measure up, I mean, it's Muay Thai. Like if you are able to, yeah. to launch elbows that way, why would you ever think about not utilizing them? Or why would, why would you think as a promotion or, or an athletic commission, a governing body to take away one of the most useful tools in, in combat sports, in my opinion? Yeah, I think that aside from like spinning attacks, it's also the one of the most dis difficult strikes to learn and hone and really own. I mean, you have to be so close to someone, you know, and you're so vulnerable, especially if you're coming over the top. Like, all this is open here. If I'm coming up here, my whole body is like, I cannot protect myself. So they are, they may, they're, they're such a, it's such a vulnerable strike. It's a very dangerous, risky strike to throw. And, um, they are devastating. I actually got my first knockout with an elbow and, and uh, you know, and not, not in a fight, but in training and they're devastating. If they're landed right, they're like a hook. 
They're like wait, wait. What are you doing throwing elbows in training, Pearl? That's mean. What do you mean? I uh, had elbow pads on. Okay, all right. I guess there's that. I mean, if you elbow me in training, if you elbow me ever, I'm going to be pissed. So please don't. Well, I, well, th- then don't make me mad. Okay, good, good words to live by. <laughs> Thank you. I'll keep that in mind as we roll on here in 2022. Um, we are going to be together coming up next weekend uh, for a phenomenal. The whole week. Yeah, it's true, too. You have a whole week that with is, Pearl Gonzalez next that, week. Yeah. You better get ready, TJ, because I'm going to drive you up a wall. Should I bring headgear? Now I'm starting to think that maybe <laughs> this is going to be bad. <laughs> no, you'll be okay. Okay, good. Um, maybe... Uh, you might want to bring headgear if you're going to be at the Honda Center uh, next Saturday night because it is a heavyweight uh, clash with the biggest implications on the line as we will unify the uh, you know championships here. As, uh, you have the uh, main champion, I would say undisputed, but he's very much disputed right now. Francis Ngannou takes on the interim champ in Surreal Gone. Um, there's a lot of uh, personal things going on between these two. They've shared coaches. Uh, you know, whenever uh, fighters, you know, compete against one another and they have some history, it always makes it uh, a little bit more interesting. And really, this doesn't need any more added drama to be a phenomenal fight that you have to watch. I mean, Francis Ngannou uh, truly is one of the most uh, scary individuals uh, on the planet. He defends his title against Surreal Gone. Your thoughts on this fight, because to me, I really believe that we're going to see the winner of this bout walk out as as not just the UFC's heavyweight champion, but the baddest man on the planet. And I'm not talking about baddest man that's a mixed martial artist. I'm talking about the most scary individual that fights professionally uh, because nobody, I don't care if you're a boxer, I don't care if you're an Olympic level wrestler, I don't care who you are. Unless you bring an arsenal of weapons to take on Francis Ngannou in Surreal Gone, you're going to be terrified because these dudes will separate you from consciousness in a heartbeat. Oh my gosh, like this fight, like just this, the hype, the lead up to this, you cannot, I cannot wait for this fight. This fight is insane. And I think that it, it's going to be one of those fights where I think that this is, I don't even know how to say this, like how to word it properly, but like one, one of the most technical, not technical, but maybe technical heavyweight fights. We're going to see uh, title fights, you know, right. we're going to see it. Cyril Gan is just next level heavyweight. I mean, the way that he moves, his footwork, his strikes, he's so clean with his striking. He can wrestle, he can grapple. He's eight and oh, you know, he's he's still so young in his professional MMA career. Like he's only growing and, and gonna get better at eight and oh. That is insane. And um, I think that he, because of that, right, he you have someone like Francis who one shot, it takes one shot from Francis to knock you out, to put you out. And he's scary. He's such a scary man. He's so confident. You know, that presence he brings when he's inside that octagon is scary. And so I think Cyril has a little bit more of a passive type of uh, attitude. He's a, he's a more passive man. And, and Ngano's a very like, you know, not that he's like mean or anything, but he's just very confident. Um, so it's interesting. We'll see how this fight plays out. They were training partners. They trained right. together. Right. So they know how they, they have an idea. And yes, we grow and you know, you, you grow and you learn and depending on the athlete and how motivated they are to grow, you know, you'll see the skills rise or, and whatnot. And so this is interesting because, um, they both know each other before and, um, 
you know, they're going to go in there and, and fight. And I do believe that Cyril is a, a next level heavyweight. He's going to bring um, the next generation of heavyweights kind of, I don't, I don't even know sure. how, if I'm wording this no, right. No, yeah. You, yeah. Okay, like, yeah. There are different generations of, you know, caliber of, of athletes. And, and maybe this is the next turning point when it comes to heavyweight uh, generations. Uh, you know, when I look at Cyril gone, you mentioned, you know, eight and no, like, He's only eight and zero, and he's a UFC heavyweight champion. Like that is crazy to me. Scary. Like, hasn't really been fighting and focusing solely on mixed martial arts for a very long time. You, you talk about the aggressive nature of Francis Ngannou. That that is one thing that we've seen though in the past at, at various times where Francis doesn't push the issue as, as much as he should. And sometimes in the past fights have gotten a, away from him. Um, you know where he hasn't really been the aggressor, and and we're right. you know you know treated to these decisions where it's like, wait, that is not the Francis Ngannou we know. And and I, I'm curious, and I think this is going to be something that's going to be answered very early on uh, in this meeting with, with Francis Ngannou and, and Cyril Ghosn, is what type of Francis Ngannou are we seeing uh, in the octagon come Saturday in this title defense? Because, you know, taking on someone that he does have some history with, you know, coaches that are getting him ready uh, to, to face Francis, they know what Francis is like. Does that sort of play in the mind of Francis Ngannou, does that make him a bit more hesitant? And if it does, are we going to see Surreal Gone really push the pedal to the metal and try to, you know, steal something and make something happen early? I think the first uh, two or two and a half minutes of this fight are going to be really telling about what we're going to get over the course of the bout. And that said, the fight might be over in two and a half minutes. You know, I can't, yeah, I, agreed. I, you know, and, and that's what's really exciting about this. Um, but I do feel like the pressure is more on Francis Ngannou at this point than it is on, on Surreal Gone. But maybe that's just me. I think so, too. I think that he's he's got a lot going on right now. Francis does. Um, aside from this fight, I feel like he's he's. He's not just fighting this fight, you know, he's, he's got some other things that he's addressed publicly. So he's dealing, you know, with his career and stuff. So he's got a lot on his plate right now. You're right. He does. And then you have someone like Cyril Gunn, who's like, to me, he's a passive, quiet kind of guy, you know, flies under the radar, comes in and is this like super technical savage, you know? And, uh, he, he is that type of fighter that's going to come in. He, he's got footwork. He's got great footwork. He moves so fast for a heavyweight, you know, he, and um, he's going to press that. He's going to push that pace. And Gano is, is, I'm sure, prepared for it and ready, but he will have to answer. I do not think that we're going to get a passive uh, Cyril. I think that Cyril is going to really come forward. And I think that, to me, I, what stands out in this fight between these two fighters is Cyril's, um, is his footwork. Yeah, he's got really, really good footwork, and Francis doesn't have that footwork. So I do think that that's going to play a big factor in this fight uh, for Cyril is his footwork. Well, I mean, we mentioned you know Calvin Cater tonight, who had a very good uh, you know forward momentum sort of game plan tonight. If Cyril Gone is able to implement you know footwork that makes Francis Ngannou respond more than he's able to initiate an attack. Then Francis Ngannou is now fighting Cyril Gone's fight, and mm -hmm. you know when you have the power that Francis Ngannou does. If you're forced to wait longer because your opponent is making you back up or, or just not, you know, progress in the fight the way that you want to, then all of a sudden that power is a little bit, you know, lesser and lesser. And, and over the course of 25 <laughs> minutes, if Cyril Gunn is able to take that power away from Francis Ngannou, who knows what can happen. But, uh, you know, going back to what you said, Francis Ngannou, I do believe you're right, is fighting for a lot more than just maintaining this championship in this 
bout. This is, Mm -hmm. I worry about any athlete who has a, you know, elite level fight coming up. That is, you know, the, the biggest fight in, in mixed martial arts so far that year in their answering questions or talking about in the media questions and, and topics that have nothing to do with actually the fight at hand. Right. That's concerning. Um, we'll see right. how he answers that coming up uh, next Saturday night. But, uh, man, it, it is going to be uh, a ton of fun. And if it wasn't, uh, you know, an, enough to be looking forward to Francis Ngannou and Surreal gone, uh, we got another uh, announcement. Uh, oh, Jorge, uh, Jorge Masvidal taking on <laughs> Colby crazy. Covington, which also just, uh, just blows my mind because, you know, the, the story here is that used to be roommates and, you know, Colby has really turned himself into this, you know, upper echelon, uh, top shelf, uh, you know, welterweight fighter. And, you know, Masvidal has become an absolute superstar inside and outside uh, of the octagon. And now it seems like however close they were in the past, it doesn't matter. They're going to fight now coming up. It's the uh, main event of UFC 272. Um, size this up a little bit because when I look at Colby Covington, I, I do believe that he is a phenomenal athlete and one that has proven to be able to hang with Kamaru Usman and, and really mm-hmm. sort of you know prove that he is an elite level welterweight. But when I look at this fight, it's personal to Jorge Masvidal. Mm-hmm. And I know that Colby Covington enjoys you know, stoking the fires and, and sometimes maybe getting under the skin of people. Because I think Colby Covington beat Tyron Woodley long before Tyron even stepped in the octagon with him. Tyron was rattled by what Colby said. Now, whether or not Colby was authentic in what he was saying, it didn't matter. That rattled Tyron Woodley. What Colby is saying to Jorge Masvidal in, in the media, that doesn't rattle a guy like Jorge. That pisses no. him off. And I don't know if you want to piss off Jorge Masvidal because he might break your face over it. You're right. And, you know, I think that he feeds, Masvidal feeds off of the uh, back and forth, you know, the, the shit talk. And uh, I think that um, that does, you, you know, some people, it can, it can break them down. It can, it can affect them in that way. Some people, it, by, it, it just is fuel to their fire. And I do believe that that is what the trash talk will be for Masvidal to be fuel to his fire. This fight. So let me tell you how interesting this fight is. Both of these guys are my the Miami guys, big Miami guys, um, Mr. 305, you know. This fight, is, is it's on March 5th, right? I believe so, yeah. So 305? Is that what's happening? Oh, my God. Are you serious? Ah! Is that really a thing? That's amazing, actually. <laughs> I was like, this fight should be in Miami. I mean, it has Miami written all over it. But that that is kind of unique and cool uh, for both of these guys, I think. But this fight is going to be insane. You know, do we see Colby wrestle? Do we see him stand and strike with Masvidal? Do we see Masvidal wrestle? You know, is Mas- and how does Masvidal and his defense with his wrestling look well, in this I, fight? I, I understand that Colby Covington is a bit more of a complete fighter than, say, Ben Askren. But every wrestler in their right mind is going to have at least a second little bit of hesitation for shooting in on the legs of, of Jorge Masvidal after that five-second record-setting you know knockout that, that Gamebred had against Ben Askren. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Do we see that? But we did see Usman have a lot of success with the wrestling right. against Masvidal. So, you know, does Colby does Colby play that card? He didn't really wrestle his last fight. I don't know if he, he chose not to, or he just could, could it? I, when you're taking on someone as, you know, polished as a wrestler as, as Kamara Usman, you know, 
choice doesn't have a lot to do with it. You know what I mean? I think that you're, you're kind of forced to do things. But, you know, that, that is the thing, though. Masvidal, again, is, a, is an athlete where I always like to say there are three different personality types when it comes to mixed martial artists. There are martial artists, say, like a Damian Maya, um, you know, someone who's grown up and, and, you know, been really into a traditional martial art. And you, you know, adapt that and evolve that to the modern mixed martial arts game. But at the core, you're still a, a, a martial artist. Uh, the other one is is an athlete, which I believe Colby Covington is. He's a high-level collegiate wrestler. He's a phenomenal mixed martial artist because of his wrestling and how he's adapted it to, um, you know, mixed martial arts. But at the end of the day, Colby Covington is an athlete. If he wasn't fighting in, in mixed martial arts, I think he would have you know, really tried to pursue wrestling to, to the highest level uh, he could have gone because he's an athlete. And not to take away anything from fighters, because I think fighters can be martial artists and athletes as well, but Jorge Masvidal is a fighter and there becomes mm -hmm. a point during any fight with someone like Jorge Masvidal where I don't necessarily think that they care so much about getting the, the, the win or the loss. They care about their pride, saving face and beating the ever living shit out of you. And that is mm -hmm. Jorge Masvidal. And that's what I'm saying here. When you look at Masvidal and Covington, I, I just don't know if Colby wants to really poke the bear too much because there might be a point where, where Masvidal's like, I don't care if I'm losing rounds. I'm here to break your face. We'll see how Colby really reacts to that. I mean, do we see an altercation before they even get inside the cage? I mean, the yeah. Octagon. Yeah. I mean, it's not necessarily going to necessarily come to blows, but th if they're not, you know, kept apart from one another and have some oversight when they're in the same room together. Yeah. And that's the thing too. I don't know if Colby really believes that there's bad blood here. He might say there is and might do these things to sort of sell the fight, but I really believe that when you do that with someone like Jorge Masvidal, it, it, it's a little more real to Jorge what you say. It's not just all fun and games, let's sell the fight. It's, why are you doing this? We used to be friends. Now you're disrespecting me. I'm going to hurt you. Yeah. No, that is, and that is Jorge, that's Masvidal's MO. Like, he's, he doesn't care. He's not the fighter that's like, I don't like you sign a contract let's fight he's the fighter that's i don't i don't like you if i see you we're fighting i'm coming to fight you regardless if it's inside whether i'm getting paid or not right. i'm here to fight you and i'm here to beat you i mean and so let's not forget leon edwards yeah the three piece so it was the three piece in a soda right exactly so yeah no this fight is i the lead up is going to be insane you know let alone the fight the fight right. is going to be crazy but the lead up is going to be so much fun yeah, no, 100%. I, I cannot wait. And, uh, you know, you describe the um, sort of mindset and mentality of one Jorge Masvidal as a fighter. Uh, next week on UFC Fight Pass, we're going to see the mindset of Jorge Masvidal as a promoter. Uh, as Jorge Masvidal's Icon FC debuts this ah! Friday night live on UFC Fight Pass uh, in West Palm Beach. I believe tickets are available now if you want to go out and, and watch the show. But uh, if you're not able to make it to the venue uh, on Friday night, uh, turn on UFC Fight Pass and Pearl Gonzalez and myself will be uh, in your ears as we take a look at the uh, launch here uh, of Masvidal's uh, Icon FC I got chills with the promo because when you look at Masvidal, a very storied past in, in mixed martial arts when it comes to not only his, his own career in the octagon, but th this is a young guy who just loves to fight that was doing it in the boatyard back in the day in Miami. And, and now he's trying to create the opportunity for young athletes all around the world to come to his promotion, shine on his stage, and then get themselves into a position to you know make a run for the octagon and 
that's exciting. It's really neat to see, you know, someone who just loves to fight put on fights with other athletes and give them an opportunity that, you know, honestly, Masvidal wasn't necessarily afforded the same sort of, you know, upbringing that these athletes are today. Like, again, it started in the boatyard for Masvidal, but now he's trying to, you know, give opportunities to athletes to uh, get to the UFC in a, uh, you know, streamlined, polished, uh, unique way. Yeah, it's beautiful. It really is. It's, it's beautiful to see these the veterans in our sport kind of step up now. And they really are. They're helping to mold the sport, you know, into what it should be. They're taking the things that didn't go so well in their career or, you know, the shortcomings that they had in their own experience and filling those gaps in for the next generation. And Masvidal is one of those guys. He's He's been fighting forever. You know, he's, like you said, fighting on a boat, fighting in the backyard, like bare knuckle fighting. Like he's just, he's been that guy that just is, a fighter. And so now that he's creating a platform for the up and coming and the next generation of athletes is amazing, you know, yeah. and it also his, who he is, he's a superstar. So he's also opening up his own, you know, his platform for these athletes. And it's beautiful. It's, it, it really is. You know, that's another thing, too, when I think about, like, uh, Dana White's looking for a fight. You know, when, when Dana is, is you know, cage side with Dean Thomas and uh, Matt Sarah, th- those athletes go a little little more. There's a little more emphasis to, to shine and, and, and get it done. That's going to be just the same, if not more feverish, you know, with someone like Masvidal. Because, again, like, especially this fight's in South Florida. Like, like fighting for Jorge Masvidal in South Florida on his show, like, if you don't have enough incentive to make a name for yourself and make yourself famous on that card, like this isn't the sport for you. Like it's going to be fire. 100%. I like that word, DJ. I'm, I like I'm, it. I mean, you've said it enough around me, so I'm starting to pick it up. Like I need to hear it at least a couple hundred times before <laughs> I, you know, add it to like, I'm starting now to uh, start to refer to Instagram only as the gram. Cause that's, what, oh. that's you know, so we're okay. working on that. Yeah, the gram. Okay, right. look, you're picking up words. You said shit today. I mean, you're on a whole new level tonight. Did I? Yeah. Oh, I guess you I got fired right. up about something. I, I usually <laughs> you're I'm pretty good about that. Up. I'm usually pretty good about that, but uh oh. All right. You're well, on fire tonight. You're on one. It's yeah. good. We love it. I love it. I don't know what that you make means. Me look normal. I don't you know. Make what, me look normal. Well, well, let's not go that far. Let's not, <laughs> not go that far. All right. Uh, anything else you want to uh, touch on before we get out of here? One thing I did want to touch on, um, we, we saw Brandon Royval uh, victorious tonight, um, but it, he took home a decision. Oh, man. When it looked like maybe there was a tap. Uh, the I referee, thought he tapped. I, I thought he did too. Uh, it, it, I mean, we've seen this in the past where there's like one quick tap and sometimes the referee goes in and, you know, they the, the fighter complains that, look, I didn't tap. Other times, like tonight, we, we didn't see the referee go in and largely the fight continued and, you know, whatever the only only sort of debate was, was it a tap and, and we're complaining about it, but the fight progressed and we never really stopped. I like the, the, the reservations of the referee uh, to not step in on tap one, because if we get complaints about a tap, not being a tap on tap one, we're all sort of like, okay, was that a tap? Was that not a tap? There's no debate though, when it's multiple taps. And I mean, I understand fighter safety is paramount. And when you think a fighter wants out, you need to go in and, and, and save them. But in situations like that, sometimes you, you find yourself, you know, pulling the trigger a little bit too early. And if it's a situation where uh, an athlete isn't going to be, you know, hurt severely, I, I'd like to see at least three clear taps before a referee jumps in. And Three. Interesting. 
I mean, th- you can't debate with three, you know, like, 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 yeah. you know, one, two, three, it, it, that's a tap. But if I just go like this, maybe I was trying to push away the leg. Maybe I, you know, yeah. but it, it, I don't this, know. Yes. But this two, even two multiple. And I saw what I saw from an angle was like multiple times. So I thought he, he did tap. I mean, he ended up getting out and dealing with that armbar very well. Right. And, uh, was it, what was, it's not Roy Val, was Roy Val, Bowden, how do I say his name? Uh, uh, Bontoyan, yeah. It's it's hard. It's hard to say, but yeah. Um, My thing, though, Pearl is again, fighter safety is paramount. But if you can err on the side of being one hundred percent, you know, sure that that's what you do. And uh, I I don't know. I think sometimes athletes do get caught in an armbar quick, and their instinct because they don't want to get their arm hurt is to kind of tap, and they go, "Okay, I'm fine." And there it's are, like, oh, is it, is it? And then before you know it, you're like, fuck, why did I tap? Right. It is. It's like this instant moment where you're like, oh, especially like in training, there are certain athletes that just tap immediately, even before someone really hips into an arm bar, because that's what you do. You don't want to get hurt in training, but obviously fighting a little bit different uh, than, yeah. than rolling in the, in the room. But um, yeah, I don't know. It, again, it just highlights the fact that judges and referees, just have an impossible job that, you know, we lie in wait to sort of tear them down. But at the end of the day, you know, they got a really difficult job. Yeah, absolutely. They do. I thought, I thought, you know, even though he did not, the ref didn't stop it. I did. I was okay with that because it was such a great fight. That was another great fight tonight. Um, that was a very back and forth fight as well. So, and then Brandon um, Royville gets up and basically like apologizes. Like, get out of here. Like, that's a good fight. Don't apologize. Yeah, like, yeah I know, he I know, was I, apologizing. I know you want to finish. Everybody wants to finish. You want to get that bonus. It's hard to get a bonus unless it's like fight of the night when you go the distance. But, you know, bottom line is uh, we were treated to a pretty fun night of mixed martial arts action in the first offering of the Ultimate Fighting Championship. I'm going to say Ultimate Fighting Championship all year long now. Because, I love it. You know. It's so different. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Well, UFC. Uh <laughs> That. I mean, I don't want to give you what you want all the time, Pearl. So. Oh, I love it. All right. That's I, I will see you Thursday. Uh, I'll see you Thursday. In West Palm Beach. I appreciate your time. We have a fun week ahead of us. I just have to say, man, hats off to both of those Warriors tonight in the main event. Both of them put on an incredible performance. Like, I just remember looking at, at both of them in their corners in, like, the third and fourth round, and they were both, like, just exhausted. And both of them really did put their heart out there and soul and left that on the canvas for us. And um, it was awesome. So I just, I wanted to add that in there. Two warriors. We saw in an awesome fight tonight. Without a doubt. Very- if, uh, if uh, next weekend can live up to uh, what we saw tonight in the main event, uh, we are in store for a pretty damn good. Uh, couple of fight it's cards crazy. We, and you've got Brandon Moreno versus uh, Davison Figueiredo tomorrow, yeah. uh, next week too. Like yeah. it's, that's crazy. And it's in, it's, it's in orange County. So that's right. very close to Mexico and yeah. Tijuana, which is, where Brandon Moreno's from. So I can only imagine what kind of crowd he's going to bring. And that fight has fireworks written all over it as well. So it's going to be a crazy fight. Man, I, now I want to like break this down with you too. Um, <laughs> be, just real quick before we go, you know, on the idea, it, like Brandon Fitzgerald brought it up tonight on the broadcast. When you look at that fight, it, it's a quote unquote rubber match, but not, not necessarily because the first fight was a draw. The second fight was, you know, clear dominance by uh, Brandon Moreno getting the, the, the finish. And now we see uh, Figueiredo trying to sort of even the score. But like, really, this isn't your traditional trilogy. It's one that we could be all knotted up, really. If Figueiredo is able to win, we're going to have it really be even because the first one was a draw. Second one, Moreno. Third one, Figueiredo. So, 
they might like fight two. Like, is this best <laughs> of five at this point? You know what I mean? Maybe I wouldn't. I wouldn't hate it either. Because right, that. Do you remember that first fight? Yeah. Did that one get fight of the year? Uh, it should have. I mean, it, it was crazy. Like, so, like, imagine if we get that next week. Right. How fortunate are we to see two of those? I mean, I, you know, you don't want it close like that where there's not a, a winner. But, like, imagine that back of the competitiveness that right. we saw, that rawness between those two. Like, well, we, we were talking about rematches a little bit earlier when we were breaking down uh, Caitlin Chukagi and, and, and Jennifer Maya. Like, the history that Moreno and Figueiredo have is really interesting. The first fight, you know, really could have gone either way. The judges, you know, scored a draw. The second one was just really impressive domination by Brandon Moreno. Now, momentum is a big thing in fighting. We talk about that all the time. Do you think Figueiredo can really sort of change the tone based on what happened the, the last time where he was submitted? Because it's tough to come back from a fight where Brandon Moreno, honestly, like he shined so bright that it's hard to believe that if you only saw that fight, that it was that competitive the first time around because Moreno just really steamrolled him. I think, you know, I don't know if Brandon uh, Moreno like went home after that initial draw, that first fight, that initial fight, and just like, did not leave the gym and just trained and trained and trained and worked on his vulnerabilities and, and shortcomings in that fight and came back that impressively in the next bout between those two. Um, or if, if this figure, this figure, they'll have a hard time with his weight cut. Is there, you know, there's, he's a there's very, some, might be something, you know, to that. Was he sick? Was he not feeling well? Right. Um, you never know. You don't know. And so I think that, uh, you know, being as dominant, the dominant champion that he was and how good that fight, that first fight was like it, it this don't make sense. They should run this back again. And, um, you know, let's see what happens. Does Figueredo go, did Figueredo go and come and not leave the gym? You know, right. he's been, he's been with Henry Cejudo this whole time. So you have to believe that his grappling is, is much better than it was in their last fight. Yeah, um, I mean, such and, a, great stories for both athletes too. Because I, I mean, was going to say that. Oh my god! Like when you watch the the lead up to this or the the promotional video, yeah, it makes you want to cry when you when you watch him. He's crying. Uh, Brandon Moreno when he wins his belt and how he tells people wherever you're from, it's pot, like it's just such a beautiful. Both of them have the, this amazing story, you know, where they've come and overcome so much to get to where they are. I mean, I was actually surprised when Brandon Moreno was cut from the UFC because. You know, I think he is extremely talented and he's gone on to prove that, you know, without without a doubt. But I called the combat jujitsu with him and I was like, why is why is Brandon Moreno not in the UFC right now? And he got back there after getting a, a win outside the UFC and then, you know, has fought his way to a championship. And it's just like the heart and desire that he has and, and you know, leading uh, sort of, uh, you know, carrying the torch for, for Mexican mixed martial artists being the first, you know, Mexican born UFC champion. Like, I don't care if you're not Mexican. I don't care if you're even like not a, a fight fan. I challenge anybody to watch Brandon Moreno, learn his story, and then at the end of it, watch him compete and not be pulling for him a little bit. Like, it's just hard not to, right? Like, his story is that of what makes up, like, you know, major motion pictures. Yes, and, like, what what is so cool to me is his, his um, what he's been through and then his personality and who he is. Like, he's this, like, lighthearted, goofy, you know, fun man, right? He's you know, husband. I mean, his, his nickname is the assassin baby. Like, I don't even know and, what that totally means, but like right. a, a, a baby assassin and an assassin baby. Like, how can you not love that? 
Yeah, and the Legos and like the right. things that he's into. Like he's he's just everything that he's been through, and he still is so lighthearted and and like such a happy person and athlete. And you and then you're like, this guy fights like you can't even imagine him fighting. And then you watch him, and you're like, holy smokes, he's so talented. Um, so yeah, no, and both of them, both of them have great stories. They right. both are very deserving of this. So I'm very very excited for this one. Yeah, it's going to be a crazy uh, week coming up, and and you and I, we're, we're going to do these picks, so uh, I don't know if we're going to have to like keep it locked to uh, uh, Twitter or, or what, but you and I are going to make picks, uh, producers, Steve and Frankie. I mean, we can do it whenever. It's just got to be done. We, we can make the picks, I guess, officially on, on Saturday uh, when we are broadcasting live from the Honda Center, um, so okay. we, can, we can make it official to where they're all on the record, so there's no... Uh, you know, Who won of, last year? I don't want to talk about it. It was just a. <laughs> it was a. It was a season that didn't count, Pearl. So like we weren't really keeping records. Let's oh really? Who won? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, if it were an actual. Uh, contest. Yeah, who won? Yeah, you won. Sure, but like ah! I wasn't trying very hard. There was nothing really at mm. stake. So we got to find something to like put on the line here. You know, like it doesn't need to be like money. We can come up with something you know better than that. I like, know what like, I want. Well, okay, what do you want? I want trading cards. Yeah, you're on this trading card kick. Like, I mean, that's that's fine. I mean, I prefer that. Like, I was going to like say if I lose, I'll give up energy drinks for a month. But I pr- much prefer ah, that's not. That's good for your health. No, 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 I'm no, a little no. selfish, though. I'm like, yeah. I'm a little selfish. I kind of want something instead. But well, no, that's great no, for no, your no, health. No, 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 no. I just had to bring that up. I didn't mean to bring that up. Like, let's go with your trading cards, and uh, I'll figure out something that I want. All right. Probably video games. I need more video okay. games in my life. Okay. So. That's cool. Perfect. And then I don't know what Stephen Frank. I don't even know what they like really. What do you think um, Stephen Frankie want? Steve likes country music and cowboy boots. That's true. That's true. And Frankie's he's a tough one. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever asked Frankie anything about him personally, so maybe I don't know what. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we'll figure it out. So we'll come to you live uh, on Saturday from the uh, the Honda Pond, as I like to call it, because. It was the Honda, or it was the Arrowhead Pond before it was the, the Honda Center. So you can't change a pond into a center. So the uh, Honda Pond, Saturday night. We'll see you there, Pearl. We'll see you in, in Miami first, though. All right. I'll see you soon. Have a great weekend. All right. See you, Pearl. Bye. That's Pearl Gonzalez hanging out with me all the time here on Extra Rounds from UFC Fight Pass. We'll take a break. We'll come back. Uh, Twitch ran a poll about uh, Colby Covington versus uh, Jorge Masvidal. We will uh, give you the results of that poll on the other side of this break. It is Extra Rounds from UFC Fight Pass. Ultimate Fighter House on season four of The Ultimate Fighter, The Comeback. That show has literally changed my life. Will tonight be the defining moment of Matt Sarah's career? The mindset was him or me, one of us is getting taken out. It is all over! Matt Sarah has shocked the world! If I'm remembered as getting the upset of the century and winning the welterweight title, that's great. Unbelievable! That year was the best year of my life. My legacy 
is my life and who I am. Record setting attendance. I'm proud of fighting like a girl. Come down. down what? More respect to the champion. You're seeing the entire arsenal of Yolanda Yale Jake Shek. I want to be remembered as one of the greatest UFC champions. Yolanda We are back here on Extra Rounds from UFC Fight Pass. TJ DeSantis just got off the line with Pearl Gonzalez, recapped an exciting night of mixed martial arts action that saw the one and only Calvin Cater come back and really, uh, I mean, one of the most ideal comeback fights you could could have. Over the course of 25 minutes, really dominated Giga Chikansi, uh winning a unanimous decision. Uh, two judges had it 50-45. The third judge had it 50-44. And that says something... Uh, Significant about the performance turned in by one Calvin Cater tonight in his return to the octagon. Earlier, we were talking about uh, Jorge Masvidal and Colby Covington. It has uh, just been announced that they are fighting at UFC 272. It is the main event. And uh, on Twitch tonight, we ran a poll to see who people were, were kind of thinking and, and leaning here early as uh, this fight was just announced. And looking at the uh, results, it was... of the vote siding with Colby Covington to get his hand raised against Jorge Masvidal. If you don't know the backstory, these guys used to be uh, roommates uh, during their time at at American Top Team. I mean, I guess Masvidal's still at American Top Team, but uh, Colby Covington uh, had spent a significant amount of time there and and lived uh, right alongside uh, Masvidal, became very good friends with the man, and uh, ultimately um, left the gym and now he's going to take on his uh, former teammate in Gamebred, Jorge Masvidal, who uh, is going to be sort of featured on UFC Fight Pass coming up this Friday night. Again, it is the debut of Icon Fighting Federation or Icon Fighting Championship, Jorge Masvidal's uh, Icon Fighting Championship. Um, an exciting card heading your way from West Palm Beach, Florida. You can go check that out uh, coming up on uh, Friday if you're in the area. Tickets are available uh, right now, but if you cannot watch it uh, in person, uh, you can watch it right here on UFC Fight Pass, and uh, you'll hear myself and Pearl Gonzalez breaking down all of the action headed your way on the inaugural edition of Jorge Masvidal's Icon Fighting Championship. Then, as I mentioned, we're going to be live from the Honda Center coming up on Saturday night uh, for the big UFC card in Orange County. Francis Ngannou, Surreal Gone, a heavyweight championship title unification bout. Uh, we'll headline that card. And then, of course, uh, we got the flyweight championship uh, on the line. Not often you get a card where the lightest men's division uh, is the co-main and the heavyweights is the main event. It's going to be a uh, fun night, to say the least. Uh, if you are going to the event, make sure you uh, look for us uh, somewhere, probably on the concourse somewhere. We'll be there. Pearl Gonzalez, myself, TJ DeSantis, uh, going to be breaking down all of the action uh, heading in and heading out of UFC 270. Uh, it's going to be a phenomenal night as we kick off the pay-per-view schedule for the worldwide leader in mixed martial arts. If you missed any part of this broadcast, you can check it out, uh, archived, available on demand anytime over at UFC Fight Pass, uh, as well as on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash UFC Fight Pass. Again, that is where we'll be live uh, leading into uh, the pay-per-view coming up on Saturday. And immediately following the pay-per-view, we'll be wrapping things up uh, much similar to what we did here uh, tonight for Calvin Cater versus Giga Chikansi. All right, that is it. For Pearl Gonzalez, I'm TJ DeSantis. 
saying we'll see you next time. And thanks for going a few extra rounds right here on UFC Fight Pass. Includes our live broadcast of Extra Rounds. Are we still on the air? Watch the archive anytime on UFC Fight Pass or Facebook.com slash UFC Fight Pass. You can also listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.